This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Faroz and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Kate Andrews is back with us because there's been some GDP figures revealed this morning. Kate, tell us the story. So we have two sets of figures this morning. One is the quarterly update, which saw the UK economy grow by a measly 0.1%, but it did grow in the first quarter of this year. But we also got the monthly update and uh, following zero growth in February, which has not been revised, that stayed the same. We have found out that the economy contracted by 0.3% in March. So it was really strong January figures that got us to this 0.1% growth in, in Q1. And, you know, a very clear narrative here is emerging, which is essentially that virtually no growth is better than having a contraction or a recession. But it's still not very good news. Nobody wants to be in a formal recession. And today's Q1 update dodges that yet again. That That is on, on the surface very good news. But if you look at that breakdown of the months and you look at the direction that this is all going in, consumer-facing services took a 0.8% hit. And this is all evidence that inflation is really starting starting to catch up with people that hit to real wages and also quite possibly that those interest rate hikes are starting to be felt. Those can take a, a longer time to work their way into the system, but um, no doubt they are now starting to have some impact. Let's not forget that economic growth is one of the government's five pledges for the year. They kept that very vague at the start of January. They just said there'd be some economic growth. And I think this will be interesting because these Q1 figures, you know, technically we are seeing a little bit of growth in the economy. But are people really going to feel like that's delivering? Um, And I thought it was interesting this morning that the chancellor's response to these figures was was that we have seen growth, but he heavily suggested that this wasn't the level of growth that the government would like to see. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, Katie might have some insight as to how the government will be feeling about these figures. I think it does just highlight the five priorities. I think think we have said this on this podcast. podcast. They've been criticised for almost being too easy in some ways. I don't think anyone says that about Stop the Boats. Certainly. But, you know, halve inflation. If Fraser Nelson were here right now, I would be saying this is something a government cannot control, or at least not control in a significant way. So it's a strange priority in the sense it's not really up to Rishi Sunak. It's just going to happen anyway if you look at all the forecasts. But I think increasingly those priorities are actually even if they were designed to be achievable, because the hope in government is you show enough progress and then you win attention of voters, you get a hearing again, and then you announce new, more ambitious plans. Those five priorities are looking quite hard, I think, to have significant progress on, if you look at the various ones. So one is economic growth. Now, as Kate says, you can argue it. You can, um, but you really want to. <laughs> but it, I, I don't... If, you know, if it's very, very small, it, I don't think it's going to feel like it is what it's meant to be doing. But of course, if it feels as though we've moved well past the recession and the year next year, that one could change. I think the two which to me seem the trickiest at the moment are stop the boats, because if you look at the number of crossings right now, <laughs> uh, if you look at just how long lots this will take, the illegal migration bill 
House of Lords amending needs to go out to the House of Commons. Is it, as we talked about, going to be so tampered with it's less effective? It doesn't do what the government want it to do. And of course, no flight jet going to Rwanda. So that one is, has always been, the, I think, seen as the hardest. But then also, if you look at NHS waiting times, I think it also suggests that that is also going to be pretty uphill. And there has been some progress in terms of strikes in the sense that a payoff has been accepted, even if not all the unions accept it, so we could still have strikes, but probably on a lesser scale. All that eats in and and therefore I think you do have a situation which is partly, I think, coming back from local election results. It does feel as though what the local election results have done is just put a real dampener, I think, on this growing optimism that Rishi Sunak's plan was working, uh, narrowing the polls and look at these things. And therefore, I think this week particularly, I think MPs are looking quite soberly at the challenges ahead, not in a way which is actually even, I think, that critical of Rishi Sunak. It's more just thinking, <laughs> we, you know, we calm things down. That's not enough to win back voters. And the domestic challenges are the things that you would need to improve um, within the next you know, year or so are actually um, very, very difficult. And Kate, what did you make of Mel Stride's plans to boost growth? Well, this is interesting from the Work and Pension Secretary. Mel Stride has suggested that if we get more people back into work, particularly people who left during the pandemic and haven't come back, that that could lead to knocking 2p off the basic rate of income tax. I guess the idea here is that you get more people back to work. That reduces the in-work benefits bill. It ideally boosts revenue. You've got more money to play with, and that could potentially lead to tax cuts. First thing to say is that it's not exactly a Mel Stride's gift to offer this. That would be a decision for the chancellor and for the prime minister. Really interesting, though, that it's being floated because we did see in the spring budget that they're putting a lot of emphasis on trying to get people back into work. But there have also been questions about their policies. Realistically, how effective are they actually going to be? One of the biggest areas of difficulty is that a lot of older workers, people maybe between the ages of 50 and 65, may have been furloughed during the pandemic and actually realized they'd be willing to take a bit of a hit to the income they thought they were going to earn in the future because they like their lifestyles now. It's going to be really hard to get those people back into work. But then, of course, you have the the growing number of people on out-of-work benefits. The Spectator's Data Hub revealed that that's an estimated 5.2 million people. Now that's skyrocketed after the pandemic, and the government is really focused on on getting those people back into work. So interesting that they're floating this idea of taxes, but I could also see this being spun another way, you know, the idea that other people and their life choices are keeping you from getting a tax break um, isn't sort of the nicest way to talk about the idea of tax cuts and to talk about the scope of government. So you can see potential for something like that comment to backfire. It's also not explicit public policy, you know, this idea that people have to go back into work. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're really these comments, we're getting probably more of a sense of what they're talking about than any kind of actually concrete policy. But a reminder that this government knows that there is a problem with the number of people who have left left work through the furlough scheme since the pandemic. We still have a record million vacancies in the UK, a very tight labor market. All of that is contributing to inflation. We need to get more people back into work. And the fact that ideas like this are going around suggests, you know, it's still a major topic being discussed in government. Lastly, Katie, there are two big conservative conferences to look forward to this weekend what will be happening if you want to do the tory festival trail or you know 
Tory Festival crawl, you kick things off on Saturday in Bournemouth. That is where the um, Conservative Democratic Organisation will be having its inaugural meetup. And James Heal will be going, um, the Spectator's political correspondent. So on Monday, we can bring uh, listeners a first-hand account of the joy of that event. That's going to be juicy. Ultimately, this is an outfit that um, was formed after Boris Johnson uh, was pushed out of number 10 by his MPs. And therefore, it's not got Boris Johnson in its name. It's not technically supposed to be there just to prop up Boris Johnson but I think it is is viewed by Tory MPs and I think a lot of the people who speak for it um, are ones who would like Boris Johnson to be back as Prime Minister or at the very least do not like the circumstances or think Boris Johnson should have been pushed out and it's about you know I think this is titled take back control of our party so the idea of giving more power to members I think some people said you know is it a Tory momentum at the moment I don't think it is I don't think it has the infrastructure by which MPs are particularly thinking this is a seismic event or has the probably the relation to the Tory membership. That would mean um, what they said would then be reflected by members and local parties. When you had a few Tory MPs struggling to be reselected, though some of them did get reselected on the sec- second time, lots of people said, oh, it's an anti-Boris sentiment and linked it to the CDO. But I think that while there is unhappiness in the grassroots, it's not clear they actually had that much power, to be honest. But it's obviously one to watch in the future. You can expect from there, I think, some of the speakers, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Priti Patel, probably to have fond memories of the Boris Johnson days and, and talk about the future of the party, say perhaps it should be more conservative. After local elections, clearly there's a debate going amongst some MPs as to what exactly went wrong. Um, though I think there's lots of reasons you could point to. And then at the second event is the National Conservative Conference, and that starts at the beginning of next week. That's over a few days. And that is more about, I think, less about a personality and more about general ideas. Um, is there a place for nationalism and the conservative movement? Something Matthew Goodwin spoke quite a bit about um, at the Spectator uh, Live Coffeehouse Shops, which I think is going to be released on this um, on this channel. And... That one, I think, is more of a mix. So you have Sue Braverman there, but you also have Michael Gove listed to speak. So Miriam Cates, you have some newer MPs, I think, who are also involved. So I, th- I think that would be it. That, w- that is another chance, you know, to talk about the future of conservatism, but it's a bit less clear wh- where all the speakers will land. I think that we are at a point where, because if you look at the polls and they're in an election tomorrow, most people would bet money that the Tories will no longer be in government. I think it's part of the reason you are seeing lots of future of conservatism type events, conversations, and at least ones that are being paid quite a lot of attention because a lot of this is really probably about not the direction the party is taking right now because I think things are pretty set, but what direction would they take if they lost an election, perhaps a really heavy defeat, and then there was a leadership contest and a new leader. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Kate. And thanks for listening.